to another episode of the Flux Pod. My name is Matthew Perpetua. This episode is going to feature Molly Mary O'Brien, a good friend of mine, who is a very interesting person. I think you will like her a lot if you've never heard of her. She's a person who probably should be more well-known, to be really honest with you. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk what we meant. Well, we started off talking about sad girls, like the idea of sad girls, and you know the music attached to that. So like uh, Mitski and Lana Del Rey and Phoebe Bridgers, uh, Fiona Apple, you know for that whole gang. Um, but we end up talking a lot about merch and also things like uh, Robert Pattinson, and you know it's, it's this is gonna go places. I think you're gonna enjoy it. It's a good time. Um, reminder that uh, if you want to hear all of the episodes of this show, and I, I really encourage you to feel this way, uh, you want to hit up patreon.com slash plug. Uh, $5 a month gets you all of the episodes, special feed to your feed podcast thing that will give you uh, all of the Saturday episodes, which are the premiums. And the uh, first two premium episodes feature Rob Sheffield. Uh, I think you will like those quite a bit. Um, yeah, and I also ask you, if you are enjoying the show, tell everybody. This is a word-of-mouth thing. There's no corporation behind this. Uh, yeah, if people, if people are going to find out about it, they're going to find out about it because people told them about it. There's only so much power I have to reach new people with my own platforms. So, yeah, I, I, I thank you in advance. And uh, let's just go to the show with Molly Mary O'Brien. Molly, tell the listeners who you are and what you do. Uh, hello, Matthew. I'm Molly O'Brien. Um, I do a couple things. My main thing is co-hosting a podcast called and introducing which is about music writing it's specifically the tagline is a podcast about words about music because it's not always book form sometimes it's tweets we just talked about billy corgan's mid-aughts live journaling so there's some variety there um yeah it's mostly memoir though it's mostly memoir it's it's the best when it's memoir um, but there's there's also room for criticism and, and journalism and things of that nature. And you also uh, make uh, you're director of music videos and and uh, other forms of films, music entertainment. Correct. Yes. Although not as much lately. I'm trying. Uh, the the thing I decided at the end of 2019 is like I would li- really like to focus on making video content for for music and musicians, specifically live music. And then, um, I don't know if you knew, but it's not, <laughs> live music is sparse and scarce these days. So we're, we're pivoting, we're figuring it out. Yeah. Um, and you also have a podcast uh, about David Foster Wallace's famous book, uh, Infinite Jest. I just recorded an episode of that today. Actually, two episodes today. Um, we're trying to pack them in so we don't have to do it every week. Yes, it's called Infinite Cast. It is not just uh, the, the important distinction, I think, and I hope I'm really not running afoul of the Foster Wallace uh, family, is that I am actually reading on air 
the entirety of Infinite Jest to my co-podcaster slash husband, Chris Wade. And then we talk about it a little bit at the end, but it is basically a, a fragmented audiobook. It's, you know, and it's a meta in a way that well, he probably wouldn't appreciate, but he'd be like, oh, okay, fine, I get it. I It's funny, we talked early on of like wh- whether David Foster Wallace would like podcasts, and I think we decided that like he would think that the creation of like a parasocial podcast listener, podcaster relationship is like a, a perverse sign of like the end of real relationships in America, you know, like I feel like he would be bummed by that, but he would probably listen to like the NPR offerings at the very least. So who knows? Did he like radio? Cause it's basically radio. It's basically radio. I don't, I mean his, his whole thing was like uh, trying to fight being addicted to television um, which is, you know, I think he judges it more harshly than radio in that sense. But I don't, I don't know how avid of a, he certainly had to do a ton of like radio interviews when he was doing book promotion. That's for sure. Hmm. Hmm. Just imagine all the podcasts he would have been on. He would have been on an, an, a terrible just cycle of podcasts. <laughs> oh God. And I can also Literary imagine. podcasts. Yeah, the, if if he was still alive today, if he had a new book out, like his publisher would be like, David, you have to have your own podcast, at least for a little while. Or he'd have to do like the Grub Street Diet. He would have to um he'd have to do a hot ones, maybe, although I don't think they have Foster <laughs> <laughs> Paula's hot ones. He would oh, and he it's would so do easy it. to picture. It's yeah. so easy to picture. He's got the bandana, he's sweating. Uh, he's freaking out, but he's still trying to keep it together. All, all of those, like, um, you know, all, all of the YouTube videos of like, wh- where you have to talk about your day, <laughs> like what I do in a day by David Foster Wallace. You know, a thing I think about with him is like, what if he, you know, cause he, he, he died kind of just before social media really took off in mm-hmm. a major way. And like, what if on the other side of it, he just was like, Oh, this is actually pretty cool. I was wrong. <laughs> like I was right about, I, I was, I was only right in that. I thought it was going to suck. Right. <laughs> but there's actually some good here. Yeah. This is great content. I love this content. Maybe. I mean, he, it, he might've transitioned from being addicted to television to being addicted to YouTube and, you know, watching, mukbangs or whatever to help him i bet he would have been into asmr i feel i feel like he would have then written some kind of like long harper's uh piece of journalism about like asmr people and trying to get into the the bottoms of their minds hmm well (laughs) molly you are here today because uh we want to talk about sad girls yes yes do you identify as a sad girl that is a tough. I was I was thinking about that. I think I used to more than I do so now. I think now I I would say I'm a pretty happy person, and I can but I can dig I can tap into the sadness, which I think you know I, I don't know how much you on this pod are buying into astrology, but that's a very Cancer Moon thing to do is like to take a bus to Sad Town, but you don't stay the night. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, sad girl is kind of an internet, um, social media identity. Like how would you kind of describe that and the aesthetic that that's gone along with it? I I would say probably in the past 
two or three years. I think it goes back further in some mm. ways, but I think like the, the thing we're talking about, I think is definitely a late uh, tens thing. Up yes. To now. It's kind of post, at least in the past few years, I've sort of understood it as like, Sad Girl maybe like was born on Tumblr, but like Tumblr has obviously fallen off or has it? I mean, like, are there people still there who are like cackling and they're like, oh, oh yeah, like, all the lames have left. Like, it's just the real ones who are left now. Here oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's still a pretty big uh, Internet community platform. Like my friend Kate's works there and, you know, it's it's not ex- what it was, but it's yeah. kind of better now because a lot of like more gross elements of Tumblr and that kind of goes in a lot of different directions have all been sort of purged or have kind of a lot of the worst elements of Tumblr just migrated to Twitter. So it's not on Tumblr anymore. Right. Yeah. And that's where I think sad girl, like aesthetic and culture has been living for the past couple of years seems to be primarily on Twitter. Although TikTok, I know, I know we wanted to talk about this today is like, I think TikTok is now a real haven for sad girls too. Um, you know, Twitter is an insane, (laughs) Twitter is an insane place full of insane people, but it it, it is one of those kind of platforms where you can post things just like I, you know, I, I hate myself and I want to die. And like, you'll get like a bunch of faves of being like, yeah, yes, queen, like totally. Um, but like in the musical sense, uh, I, it seems right now to be thriving in the nexus of like the Phoebe Bridger. I feel like you're either a Phoebe Bridgers or a Mitski, which is to say that either like you've sort of sub- subsumed your sad girlness and it's like you're comfortable in it and it, you kind of not wear it like a skin, but like it is your skin versus Mitski is like, what if my sadness was like a short story or a poem and it's like more of a third person type of experience as opposed to like, ah, it's just me, uh, you know, deal with it. I'm certainly dealing with it. Um, that, that, that's to me the, the current interpretation of like what, what sad girl musical aesthetic is. And this is all to say, yeah. You're also kind of describing like two different types of ironic distance. Like, so like one is more of a literary ironic distance and Phoebe Bridgers is more of a meme humor Mm -hmm. version of it. Even though her music is not a joke, like she's definitely like, a major social media person in a way that like Mitski, not really. Like, yes. She, she tweets, but you know, well, yeah, now, now I feel like Mitski is like totally off of the internet and probably for good reason. <laughs> it doesn't seem like the best <laughs> place. For oh, her. right. Oh, right. She got like, like not necessarily her, but like her family got doxxed or something. Right. She, I think the, there was an issue which actually bubbled Isn't up on CIA Tumblr or something. Yeah. They, so they thought that there was things going around that like her father was in the CIA, which like, you know, we're, we're definitely living in a, um, uh, single eye emoji lifestyle right now where like conspiracy theories are thriving and like every like who knows maybe anyone could be in the cia maybe i'm in the cia um a lot of podcasters could be but uh yeah people are trying to say her dad was in the cia but before that there was also like a thing where uh someone went on tumblr and was like mitski tried to traffic me like (laughs) some really weird (laughs) shit 
like really weird stuff, which I don't think I know Phoebe Bridgers probably has some pretty nutty, intense fans, but like that expression of not fandom, but just obsession. I don't think she's maybe had to deal with quite at that level, but I can understand why Mitski is like not tweeting right now versus Phoebe Bridgers is very much so. Another artist who would kind of fit into this is uh, Angel Olsen, and she has her mm. own kind of like uh, tinfoil hat moments. Like she was, uh, she was definitely a truther on COVID early on. I think she's maybe Wait, reversed really? that. Oh yeah, I she, didn't know that. She uh, she was uh, she posted the pandemic video and everything. Oh my goodness! Oh, uh, <laughs> Angel, what the hell? She's like, I just want to go back on tour again. Come on, I was, I was, I was in a groove. She was, she was mid tour when when the pandemic hit, right? Yeah, I feel like Angel Olsen is kind of a loose cannon generally. Like one mm. of the things I always remember with her that I feel like everyone else forgot is there was an interview with her in I think it was Pitchfork where she was just saying like really really mean stuff about Lana Del Rey and like oh boy. really harshly dismissive stuff. Like you know, I write my own songs. Okay. Oh <laughs> Like that kind of attitude and like that's the uh, amazingly was, has been swept under the rug. Yeah. But I think like she definitely has, you know, a loose cannon thing Um, as does Lana Del Rey and Lana Del Rey, I think is probably like ground zero of this uh, version of Stad Girl aesthetics. Oh yes. Yes. I was going to say, you you never actually know what Lana Del Rey's take on anything is going to be for her feud with like Azalea Banks. I feel like she is kind of like, in this cut from the same cloth of like any particular thing that you would need to take a side on. Like it's really a, a toss up what side Lana Del Rey would be on. I just remember Angel Olsen. I saw her at, um, where'd I see her play panorama and she was doing, um, banter stage banter. And like, it was just like not hitting and in a, in a way that I think she thought it was maybe kind of funny that she was just sort of like talking to herself. I feel like she has this, that that's the vibe, the Angel Olsen vibe is like a little bit, like a little bit crazy aunt or something. Like you never really know what, what's going to go on with her. A friend of mine told me he saw her in LA and she was like kind of being like mean to the audience. Ooh. Like I think, I think there was like, I remember something to the effect of like someone calling out like a song and be like, I have to leave soon. And her just like going off on that. Oh, wow. Ooh, how dare they? <laughs> what do you mean? I have to leave Do you. What kind of plans do you have after the angel Olsen concert? Well, you gotta be you the traffic. Date? You're in Los Angeles. Oh, that's true. Oh, see. Yeah. N- New York that you don't have that problem. Well, who knows? Maybe she just, she's tired of the audience uh, banter relationship and she just won't take it anymore. Yeah. Yes, I think I think she has kind of a, a, a mean sense of humor. I think yes. that's probably fair to say. Yes, that, that that makes sense. But yes, you were saying like Lana Del Rey is like the the, the sort of patron patron saint of sad the OG, girl. maybe the OG. I remember when she kind of first came out. I was a I want to say I was like a senior in college and remembered the whole like I, the whole aesthetic that she was putting on that was very Tumblr. Like it was all of a piece that not only do you make like this sort of sad retro music, but like you've got the flower crowns and the like dusty Americana that like sad girl is as much of a visual thing as it is a particular sound. Although I would say more so a visual thing in that it's time. Kind of a mood board. It's, it's, it's like a very mood board thing. It's like, it's like, it's like kind of deciding on what your music's going to be like by making like a really good Pinterest. Yes. I think that's totally right. 
I think, I mean, I think that was why people got at least people who are demanding authenticity got mad at Lana because it did seem so preconceived. But I'm like, babe, it's 2012. Like, you got to have a brand strategy. <laughs> you, yeah. you can't just put music out in the world without wondering how it's going to be perceived. I, I don't know if that was it. So maybe it's really more that because people could see the math in front of them. Mm-hmm. I think when people can kind of see like the math equation of of what a person's doing, that makes them feel like oh, I see the math equation. I see the I see that you put like, the ingredients, yes. you know. And I feel like that makes people feel like a very unearned level of uh, superiority. Yeah, it, it. I think maybe the feeling reminds me too of which I, I can relate to is like you know when you get an Instagram ad and they've like nailed you. And you get mad because like the algorithm knows what you like, but you end up and it is something you like. And it's probably something that you're going to order. Like last night, I finally caved and got one of those hard kombuchas that I keep getting ads for. And you know what? It was good. It was tasty. It wasn't too sweet. It was definitely expensive. But like I was like, fuck, this is so annoying. I They got me like they knew that I was going to like some, you know, an alcoholic beverage that was a little dry, like a little fruity, wasn't going to skimp on the actual, you know, alcohol percentage. And I wonder if that's how some people felt about Lana Del Rey of just being like, fuck, like this is what I want, but I'm annoyed that I want it. And so I'm just going to like actually pretend that I I don't want it at all. Yeah. Oh God. I, I get that too. And sometimes I'm, I'm amused because, okay, oh, hey, you got me, but you have, the thing you got wrong was how much money I have. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. You, like if I had unlimited money, maybe I would want this Santal candle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but not yet. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, yeah. I don't shop at, oh God, what was, it? I think it was like, oh God, I can't remember what, what fancy uh, place it was. But yeah, the, the, the idea being like, uh, it, I mean, I guess it's kind of flattering that they think I'm fancy. Right, right. Like, I, I wish I could have this um, thing. <laughs> or like, if you get the ad and you're like, is this, I like this shirt. Is it uh, $7 for some reason? Or is it like uh, 80 And I like it both ways. And I'm not, I'm not going to buy it either way. But I'm just curious. Like, what material? I've been, I've been served a lot of $100 t-shirt ads lately. God, what is this, 2003? We're not, we're not buying $100 t-shirts. And they all look like something uh, David Rose would wear on Schitt's Creek. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So, yeah. Um, Lana Del Rey, who has... Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the past year and a half of Lana Del Rey has been a real whiplash. Because we went from the absolute pinnacle of Lana worship uh, with Norman fucking Rockwell. Mm-hmm. And within five or six months like she had just gotten on everyone's bad side once again, because I think on some level she knows she has to do that. She has to make herself an underdog being a person who has like a 10.0 album is just not something that is going to work for her long-term. Yes. I, I wonder she, she's has joined the Pantheon of artists who like get angry at written criticism and call out, you know, the, the authors of such, like she got a, what I thought was a pretty careful and, um, well, thought, it was Anne Powers, right? uh, yeah, the New Yorker review 
of Norman fucking Rockwell. I can't remember where. Oh wait, that was Amanda Petrosek. Um, Okay, yes. The one I remember her. The one I remember her going off on was the NPR one by uh, Ann Powers. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. It was a. You know, it wasn't necessarily just like a glowing, sucking Lana's dick review, but it was treating her like a real artist, <laughs> like a like more real artist than I think she's ever been treated before. And yeah, I wonder, is, is there something about that that she's like, OK, well, time to go to the other end and like date a cop? <laughs> like, what? I'm not sure what. Do you remember, like, was there a single like straw breaking camelback? There was moment? something she said that was like kind of crypto racist but i'm forgetting yes 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 Yes, she she went off on this was actually kind of recent this was actually after i i think a certain amount of fans were like "Eh, it's okay that she's dating a cop like whatever but i think it was in like this was kind of in the midst of blm uh protests in the middle of the year she was basically saying like how dare i be criticized for my song content which is like largely you know I, i would say like a sort of um, what's the word? Uh, Horny? A, a conservative, yeah, but conservative <laughs> and trad, like a very like trad. Okay, yeah, yeah. Where like she's very submissive and like, uh, you know, the the way that she relates to men is like I think in some ways pretty old fashioned. Which I've listened to a bunch of her music. I don't even think that's necessarily true across the board. But she was saying like, why do I get criticized for that when there are women? And then she named a bunch of black women. Uh, primarily, who are uh, like Beyonce, Nicki Minaj, their, yes, singing about cheating on their men and like being, you know, sexually aggressive. Like, why don't they get criticized? I'm like, first of all, they do, <laughs> like, they definitely do. But also, like, you, c- I could not think of a worse time to bring that up. I think it was like a wall of text Instagram story, <laughs> which doesn't help. Like that, that mode of communication does make people seem uh, super nuts. <laughs> <laughs> to right. me. And th- then she had a series of non-apology apologies. Of course. Right. Uh, oh, I didn't. The thing that I said, um, I actually didn't mean it the way I said it. I mean, I still mean it, but not like that. Lana. Oh, Lana. Yeah. I, I, think a, she, I think she wants to be the anti-hero. Yes. I think it seems like she is more comfortable in that position. And then she also like she didn't she go to some kind of uh, meet and greet and she was wearing a face mask, but it was just like a, a like a thin fishnet. <laughs> I don't remember that. No, that feels right too, though. And people got well, mad. You have to her. know it's her. Yeah. Well, you gotta, <laughs> I don't think she's necessarily very identifiable if you only see the top like third of her face, but what do I know? But yeah, yeah. she, at least the music itself, I'm trying to remember uh, the the primary Lana song that I think of is a uh, like pretty when I cry. I don't know if that's actually what it's called, but the chorus is basically just like I'm pretty when I cry, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's that's definitely a mood. That's a fat mood. Yeah, I mean, all uh, the whole Lana Ray project is basically the the concept of the sad girl. It's the, uh, mm-hmm. Aestheticizing your sadness, uh, kind of making a joke of it while also being like, no. I'm sad. This is like, I'm, you know, I think that that's kind of the, the, the sad girl aesthetic really is based on that kind of ironic and also serious, uh, dichotomy. Yes. Yeah. Cause you can't, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but like if you ever experience a moment of just like such abject sadness that you do start to think it's funny. Like if you're, for example, like, 
oh, I don't know, crying in the shower. And then you're like, this is so funny that I'm doing this right now. Like, I, I'm still definitely upset. But like, you cannot deny the absurdness of such an image of just like <laughs> crying in the shower. about this a little in terms of like okay my own history with sad music and Mm. I don't feel like over time I've really been that attracted to any version of this I guess Lana is it I mean I do like a lot of Lana Del Rey stuff but like the thing that is probably most similar is like the Smashing Pumpkins around melancholy infinite sadness because he's definitely playing that game there he's definitely like writing song like zero and here is no why being really good examples and you know like really hitting the absurdity of it and kind of criticizing the sadness and criticizing his behaviors while also like really just like embracing it to the Mm -hmm. nth degree. Mm -hmm. And I think like there's a real direct line of him to Phoebe Bridgers, even though I think musically they have virtually nothing in common. (laughs) I would, I would be interested in a, uh, uh, Billy, Billy Phoebe collab. Although I really don't understand what that would look like. Although if I would hope for anything, it would be that Billy would push Phoebe toward, uh, you know, louder, Dynamics. more intense music. Cause that is my one. I really like Phoebe Bridgers. I've really gotten into um, Punisher this fall. Do, do you ever have this thing where sometimes an album comes out and it's like not the right time, like season oh, yeah. specifically, like Punisher, I think came out in June and I was like, mm, no, I'm not in the mood. I'm still kind of uh, enjoying my like Lady Gaga Dua Lipa disco moment. But like, I'll see you when the leaves die. And it turned out to be totally right. Like, it is a dead yeah. leaves um, ass album. But um, yeah, it's and also I really been like raining it. a lot here. You know, it's yeah, just it's like been a, moody. It's definitely a like, rain record. It's getting it's getting darker. It's getting colder. Like we're 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 curling inward, and and that's when it's time for. Phoebe Bridgers, but she, I mean, of the album, it's like pretty down tempo, pretty non, there's definitely percussion in it, but like, it's not a very hard driving album. And so like, I would love just like unleash her kind of singing and songwriting capabilities with like the backing power of a smashing pumpkins that would fucking rule. Right. <laughs> I Cause I mean, that. I think, I think that really is the thing that I don't respond to with Phoebe Bridgers, who I don't really have like a problem with. And, you know, I think is okay, but I never get that 
interested in her music because it's always so flat. There's not really yeah. a lot of dynamics. Whereas the Smashing Pumpkins is, is an extreme example of a band that this goes way in on dynamics and their best material. Yeah. And like that real, like a lot of the best Smashing Pumpkins songs have like that real, like extreme, like soft to loud thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, <laughs> I feel like just generally that's pretty uncommon lately. I think a lot of music now is a lot more, you know, it kind of stays in a, in a zone. It doesn't really like move between like, at least like, like super popular music, you know? Yeah. Uh, whereas the special ones really were like one of the biggest uh, radio bands of the nineties. Yes. A theory on that is that, do you think, because like we are so, I say we generally, I'm, I'm trying not to fall into this trap, but so um, like Spotify playlisted the fuck out where like people are no longer necessarily seeking specific songs or specific like artists or specific kinds of artistry, but they're seeking like moods. And so you wouldn't necessarily put a song that is like chill and then like insane and then chill again on a, like an a, a playlist that's supposed to be chill or insane. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Okay. Right. Because there's definitely a lot of like playlists that are popular that are like super, super high energy. I can't remember the name of it. There was actually an article in the New York times about one uh, very popular playlist. That's like, you know, it's like a hundred gecks and things like that. Hyper pop. Hyper pop. Exactly. Yes. And like, yeah. So it's like, that's just kind of like all in one zone. And I don't know. I, I, I only occasionally make playlists that are all in one mode. I I think I am accustomed to having more tonal shifts and more rhythmic shifts. I don't yeah. really like things to be all I get I get bored pretty quickly in that. Uh agreed. <laughs> uh, except for yeah, no, I I was about to say um except for if I need just purely uh ambient music, which I've been dabbling for for nap time with like the Aphex twin <laughs> ambient songs. But that's not the same thing as just wanting like, you know, a, a pool a mid tempo pool party playlist, which I would like to see Aphex Twin try to make music for that. What made you decide to try the ambient stuff? Was that something you already had in a, uh, a relationship with? Or no, was this not like, well, let's try, not let's at try all. this out. Let's see how it goes. I, I knew it existed. And like, I was in a very specific mood where I was like, you know, feeling in the mood for a nap and it was raining. And I'm like, I feel like I trust if, if a fixed twin is making ambient music, like, let's see what it's all about. And it's so good <laughs> for naps. <laughs> I would not, I would not listen to it in any other context uh, other than if I am, if I'm trying to put myself down for a bit. Did you try any Brian Eno? I haven't. Would you recommend that for? I mean, he's the, he's the king of it. That's like, he, he basically created the genre. So I'll have to put it on my, my nap time. I'm sure this is deeply offensive for anyone who listens to ambient music for, you know, exploring the depths of your mind or meditation or whatnot. I don't, I don't, I don't know how, why other people. Oh, I, I'm ready for someone to like write in furious that I, I put uh, Brian Eno ahead of some other forebear who I was not aware oh, of. Oh, sure. Yes, of course. You gotta, you gotta get that ambient related <laughs> hate mail. It really dr- drives people insane. It's like, it's like, listen, buddy, you need to go back on the ambient music. You are too tense right now. I just imagine like a ambient stands. Like if there was like a Stan army, like, I mean, a Brian, you know, Stan army would actually be pretty funny to me. (laughs) Stanbians. Stanbians. 
<laughs> oh god. Anyway, what were, what were we talking? Oh, moods. We were talking about uh, playlists and, and moods and and uh, and consistency of moods. That's right. Who else would you kind of put in the sad girl zone? I mean, I would say Fiona Apple is like my OG sad girl. Although I, w- I was actually kind of like thinking of her in the back of my mind as we were starting to talk about the other sad girls. Because I, I would actually say, I don't know if you disagree, is that I wouldn't say her latest Fetch the Bowl Cutters is a very sad album. I would actually call it more like angry slash like maniacally hopeful or maniacally uh, like uh, forward thinking. What do you think? I agree with that. And I think there's definitely a few in Apple records and songs that are um, incredibly sad. I think Mm -hmm. uh, like I know from Mm. her second album, I think is one of the saddest songs I know of. Well, I didn't mean to say that title in that, but um, <laughs> right. But like, I don't, or like never as a promise is another mm-hmm. one that's just like, oh, that one is just like, so, but you know, she's, I mean, she sings almost exclusively ballads, you know? So yeah. I think like that, if, if you sing exclusively ballads, you're going to be pigeonholed as sad, even if your music isn't tremendously sad, Yeah, you know, because pe- people just interpret slow as sadder than fast. I told you I didn't want to go to this dinner You know I don't go for those ones that you bother about So when they say something that makes me start to simmer That fancy wine won't put this fire out Oh, kick me under the table all you want I won't shut up, I won't shut up Kick me under the table all you want I won't shut up, I won't shut up I'd like to buy you a pair of pillows, old hiking boots, to help you with your climb. <laughs> Even the songs that I would maybe more categorize as like specifically sad on Fetch the Bowl Cutters, like the um, like Cosmonauts, which it's not you know the most like devastatingly tragic one, but like it's a song about. A, a relationship that's like not going well or, or not very easy. But even that is like, I would describe it as more like intense than anything else. Like she brought more intensity on this album than I think I've ever heard from her before. Yeah. I, I, I think like it's, it's definitely like- on the previous one too, but I think like she definitely made a turn in her probably, I guess mid thirties towards like, I'm just going to go hard. I'm going to go as hard as I possibly can. Um, like I think the, the previous one has more stuff where she's like kind of like really pushing her voice in the kind of ways that are like, Ooh, you don't want to hurt your voice. You know? Um, <laughs> I, so like when she first started promoting the previous album, the idler wheel, I saw her play a show at the Bowery ballroom. And I think I may have been guest listed for that. I think it was like a special, like small, this type show. Um, I was I think I was at Rolling Stone at the time. <clears throat> anyway, that show is one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. And oh, part of it is because she was performing in that moment in a way that was like, if you sang like this all the time, you would simply have no voice left. She was shredding <laughs> her voice. She was singing with a level of intensity I literally have never seen anyone else do before. In yeah. sense. It's just like... It, it, in a way that almost made you feel like uncomfortable to be witnessing it. Cause you're like, am I supposed to see you sing like this? Like it was, it was that kind of thing. Um, and I've seen her 
perform a couple times since. And it's kind of like, she's, you know, she's never a normal singer. She's like so extraordinary, but like, she's not doing that, you know? Yeah. She's chilled a little bit. And the last time I saw her, she was actually in a much more relaxed, uh, vibe that was a show where it was like her and blake mills together it was at the the beacon theater Mm. i do remember the press coming out of those appearances uh when she was promoting the idler wheel of being like is she good like is she okay (laughs) like she's kind of come out of this like mini exile and she looked like super thin and like kind of had these but like, like wild muscular, eyes like muscular in a way that she didn't look before like, yeah like and i think she's she was like i've just been doing a lot of yoga man <laughs> like, fiona really? apple looks like she, yoga fiona apple like in her late 30s early 40s looks like she could like like beat you up maybe even as small as she is like she yeah. has a kind of a uh an ellen ripley from aliens aesthetic mm. Mm-hmm. Yep, I can see that. It's the corny weaver <laughs> of rock. <laughs> that's a that's a that's something to aspire to. Honestly, that's pretty cool. Oh God, I was yeah, reading, another- I was reading recently that like uh, Sigourney Weaver was filming like one of these new avatars, and like she was doing like these like insane swimming stunts. Like uh, oh and, and she's like like seventy. <laughs> like she but she's like but Sigourney Weaver is this kind of a, an absolute beast and will not, you know, settle for less. Um, speaking of uh, beastly 80s icons, I watched um, the the last Terminator that came out, which I think is called Terminator Dark Fate. I think it came out last year. And um, Linda Hamilton is like, holy shit. Who's who's the Linda Hamilton of of rock music? Because to talk about someone who I'm like, she could definitely just kill me, and I don't even think it would be that hard. Like I think it it wouldn't, you know, there wouldn't be that much of a struggle. Doesn't that but, movie um, also have uh, the girl who plays Cameron in Halt and Catch Fire? Yes, which I'm like, honestly, well, another person could rip casting. you in half. Yeah, like th- these these women with uh with biceps is uh. It's a it's a commodity. <laughs> James Cameron has a type. He's got a type. He wa- he wants women who could like low key hurt him a bit. Yeah. If only Kate Winslet was utterly ripped in Titanic. Yeah. No. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> she she uh you know tries to kill herself, throw herself off the boat, and then she's like, ah, eh, never mind. Like that that Leonardo DiCaprio guy's pretty hot, and then she just like pulls herself back up off the ship with like her straining forearms they should remake titanic with timothy chalamet in the uh leonardo caprio role and cast a woman who is seven foot three and completely shredded (laughs) she's an independent woman and she doesn't want to get married (laughs) and And he's just and he's just a, a delightful little elf yeah yeah I was I was talking about Leonardo DiCaprio last night. Where I was just like, we the girls today, I don't know. I, I Timothy Chalamet, he's all right, but like I feel like he's he's a Walmart to a '90s Leo's Target, just personally. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because I also think uh, he's kind of presented as more of a prestige thing. So like the Walmart thing doesn't scan perfectly. I think he's definitely, he's definitely like the, um, I'm trying to think what like the retail equivalent of this would be where it would be (laughs) like, uh, I think, you know what? He's kind of like those brands that would just like be on Instagram. 
And they're they're yes. not making anything nice, but they have like really aesthetic ads. Yes. Yes, absolutely. He's the he's the hard kombucha of of actors. <laughs> <laughs> it's also like so it's hard to imagine him as like an uh as being an actor in his like 40s or 50s. It's so hard to picture him as an I adult know. man. I think he's going to have to Jude Law a little bit, which is to say like he's known for being so like uh, this sort of like fragilely good looking guy. And I think he's going to have to dip for a couple of years and come back and be like, I'm playing weirdos now. They might be good looking, but they're definitely weird. Like Jude Law has not played like a straight up 100% likable guy since the er- early mid 2000s. Yeah. I guess it's a little bit of a, bit of a Robert Pattinson move too, where it's like, yes, like yes, yes. I must escape this old vampire thing by this only playing these like, completely eccentric roles exclusively. And yes. I, when I take another major role as Batman, I will also do it eccentric. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. I I respect that career move. I respect the hell out of it. But I don't believe Robert Pattinson is actually eccentric. I just think he just kind of knew the lane he had to go in. His great Robert Pattinson's greatest role is that of an actor who's trying to uh, weird everyone out. Yeah, I think. Did he, you see his his pasta at the beginning of quarantine? Yeah, that that, that really seemed kind of like forced to me. Yeah. I, I got I to gotta see the like pitch meetings or, you know, the kind of behind the scenes versions of this where he's like, all right, guys, uh, got a movie to promote or like got some. I don't even know what he was promoting at the time. So I didn't work that well, I guess. But we got something to promote. What are we going to do? How about I make a weird pasta? And someone's <laughs> like, what about like a weird, I don't know, like a weird dessert instead? He's like, no, I think pasta is going to uh, re- resonate a hit. Yeah, yeah, possible resonate with people more than like a weird cake or something. <laughs> Maybe the cake's next time, you know, you, you graduate yeah. the cake. Yeah. But also, I it's like, that- I, I feel like it's not plausible that a weird guy is making cake. It's totally plausible that a weird guy is making pasta because pasta is yeah. the ultimate like food for a guy who doesn't really know how to cook. <laughs> yes pasta is the I, I recently found i mean you you know my my new obsession with hamburger the hamburger helper but i think i read a wait you're gonna have to like, explain that slightly to, to the listeners <laughs> okay yeah um i real i don't know how i came upon it or like w- why it came into my mind like many things that have happened during this pandemic like things just sort of arrive and leave but i was just thinking about how cool the logo and like the mascot of the hamburger helper is because it's not hamburger. It's a helper. So it's a helping hand. He's an anthropomorphic hand and he's ready to help you with your dinner. Um, and I was like, that's, that's just simply good vibes. And then I've just been thinking a lot about the hamburger helper and was doing a little bit of research into it. Cause I'm like, what is the, de- <laughs> what is the deal with hamburger helper? And a, an astonishing number of people eat hamburger hamburger helper every week, according to the General Mills site. Like it's something like I don't know, three million people eat it a week. Who who knows whether these uh, figures can be um, can be verified? But I believe it. It's the original one pot pasta. Now everyone loves one pot pastas. Yeah, it's it's you know it's cheap too. Um, yeah, it's super cheap. Well, when you first mentioned this to me. The thing that immediately came to mind is, oh wow, there's like two mascot characters that are that are mitts. 
Because the other Wait, one is the, the other the, is the Arby's has their mitt character. <gasps> right. And they're both related to meats at, you know, McDonald's. I mean, I'm just thinking of other like fast foods and, and the like. But if your whole thing is like we're Arby's and we have the meats, but like meat is not cute. Like you can't really make like a logo or something and have it be like a slice of meat. So you have to figure out some other way. The way people have done it in the past is you just kind of anthropomorphize, you know, a chicken or a cow. But I think that's kind of a bummer. I think like having it's a huge this, bummer. yeah. So like, especially when you're thinking of this, like a, like a in both cases, like low grade, like ground beef or like low grade, like roasted beef. Yeah. You know, you kind of have to distract. you yourself from the fact that like that's what you're eating or like that's what you want and so it's like oh what what else is like cool and chill and you've got this you know little hand the the helper is there to help you elevate this ground beef yeah yeah it's it's about him it's not about the beef that you're trying to like pretend it's not beef really yeah right you're you're really trying not to think about it um, but I was I was looking and trying to find as like this this rocks like I would love like a shirt or a jacket um, with the hamburger helper on it and they're really slacking on merch and I do I don't know how you feel I feel like we're at an unprecedented time for merch meaning like you know things that represent a particular cultural icon or a musician or whatever like I feel like especially with the pandemic. Like merch is a way to represent like going to a thing or supporting a thing, but you can't go to the thing right now. So like a lot of people are really going hard on, you know, Casey Musgraves, for example's merch game is just completely out of this world. Phenomenal. Like, what is she selling? Candles, uh, candles, like very chic candles. Um, and like beautiful, like lighter, like Zippo lighters and, uh, also kind of leaning into that, like, uh, I, I would call this sad girl in a way is like the, the self-care wellness stuff of like having an adult coloring book. I'm pretty sure she had that for some, some time. Um, and so anyway, like, I'm like, where's the hamburger helper merch? Uh, General Mills is really slacking here. So I almost thought of writing to them and being like, do you have any like it's <laughs> like a bomber jacket that has like a, a airbrushed painting of the hamburger helper mitt on the back i would love it i would love it and i haven't done it i haven't crossed that particular threshold yet but who knows the longer we don't have like things are really replacing experiences right now and so like the longer the experiences the older people last. win finally I remember that being a whole thing is like millennials really care about experiences more than things. And like, you know, I, me being in this like nebulous, no generation zone, I think I do mm. relate more to uh, older people. I'm definitely from the 20th century and I like things. Give me things. <laughs> things. They don't, they, they stick around. They don't go away. Yeah. They're not, they're not ephemeral and ethereal. They're not like your Snapchats and your, uh, your your yoga retreats or whatever the fuck. Yeah, I I understand. Yeah. I'm a I'm just a a, a minimalist like um uh I'm, I'm a real Marie Kondo sucker in that case. But like you, like for example, I I don't necessarily believe in like the whole 
I, I think Spotify is like probably killing music. I think music streaming is like incredibly fucked when it comes to the actual artists who are not getting paid, but like you buy CDs and records because they are things. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. part of it's also like the kind of the thing you're saying before where like, I feel like a need to, you know, support these things. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. if I like something enough, I, I generally will try to buy it. Um, and then they'll give you your little code for your digital thing too, I would imagine. Yeah, but no one does that anymore. I think like a lot of things have phased that out because people just listen to things on streaming. Nobody really wants to download MP3s. Ah, uh, yeah. That makes even, sense. Even selling MP3s, I think, is, is really gone way, way down. Uh, Bandcamp mm. does a lot. I mean, I've I've also bought some MP3s for, for Bandcamp. And like even just for doing the site, sometimes I'm just required to buy MP3s just so I can post them. Um, yeah. <laughs> but okay wait so what are like other merch that you've seen that you thought was really cool oh gosh let's think um i mean i feel like K- K- casey is like my number oh you, you well you know who's my queen of merch i don't think she's necessarily the most popular musician in the world but for the last um her last album jenny lewis has put out everything i have seen that she has put out i like moan and groan and scream and i'm just like oh god i want it so badly like but i can't spend all of this money on it she had this incredible tracksuit that was like had skulls on the the top and the bottom um just like such good shit also like all of her motifs i feel like it's almost like a a feminized version of like the grateful dead like skull guy where she has skulls but they're smoking like joints and they're, they've got flower, like flower crowns. <laughs> so like, I, and well, I will always prefer that to the, the original Grateful Dead. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, oh God, there's one artist, uh, you know, Pom Pom Squad. Oh, I love Pom Pom Squad. I, I know that uh, I know this because my friend Tatiana uh, bought a Pom Pom Squad merch that was a literal like cheerleader outfit that said Pom Pom Squad on it. And yes. It's like that is God tier merch, especially for a band yes. that like no one knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I remember seeing that. Um, that is extremely good because the uh lead singer of Pom Pom Squad also wears. I don't know if it's the same one or if it's like slightly adjusted to sort of differentiate herself from the fans, but like being offering something where you can, your fans can not just like dress in something that can uh, honor you, but actually dress like you like that's sick. I mean, if St. Vincent wanted to put out a line of uh, pleather dresses, <laughs> I would be all over that shit. I, I like this is because I feel like for a long time, people didn't really think to make like their actual costumes something that the audience could buy and i, I guess that makes mm-hmm. sense like uh I remember uh our fr- my friend and your husband chris when he yes. was telling me about the smashing pumpkins the other day uh he was saying like oh i really want to get the zero t-shirt yes which is i think that's like one of, that's a rare exception where the like, billy corgan knew like right away that this thing that like, he was wearing is basically a superhero costume for two years it's like and like in at least half the videos for that record Oh no, people are going to want this. And like people, like, I don't, I think they've been selling them at like every pumpkin show since, you know, regardless of what they're touring for, it's always there. And was that a thing you saw in the nineties? Uh, was, was, how common was it to see someone wearing that shirt? Oh, very common. It's like the most common Smash Pumpkins t-shirt. That rules. See, now, now I'm just thinking of, you know, I think who is probably the most popular merch king is Travis Scott. 
Hmm. Travis, well, have you we, seen Travis Scott's website? Uh, no, but I was very familiar with the merch he was doing in conjunction with McDonald's, including yes. the McRib shorts, which were just like hideous. <laughs> it's like it's not even what you'd want the McRib shorts to be. It's like, uh, want, I, like in my head, like because like, this came up on Time Crisis, and I'm like, mm. I, I, the thing that I pictured was just kind of like a like a like a pattern like a McRib pattern on shorts. Yeah. It's like, oh no, there's it's like a McRib on the ass and it says McRib. And it's just, it's, <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's utterly garish. Yes, I'm not it, the target is, market for hurts, Travis Scott. It hurts the eyes to look at, honestly. And I, I don't know enough about like art history or anything, but I am wondering if there is some sort of art movement that actually like this somehow fits into of just like something being so intentionally ugly and eye straining um because it is hard it's i don't also the the fact that they've made him into this like doll um there's a sort of like pseudo barbie that uh, of travis scott in some of on some of the t-shirts and it reminds me of and i've never seen this i just like to roast it anyway but um the the movie Welcome to Marwin with all those like little weird smooth robert zemeckis dolls and i'm like i feel like it, it is is there a, a Marwin out there for, for Travis Scott? I love that movie as a reference point. I like the idea of like, oh, Travis Scott has been welcomed to Marwin, I see. <laughs> I like it. I like it as this kind of a, a euphemism. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's he because I, I asked about, you know, if if Smashing Pumpkins shirts were super common uh in their heyday, because uh um like I would say, at least in Brooklyn right now, Travis Scott merch and like Astroworld merch is like the most common uh, like band or musician apparel I see out on the street on a regular basis. I see people just wearing like the Astroworld logo shirt pretty commonly. Yeah, yeah. Or like the, yeah, like tour merch. There's, uh, there's probably stuff be... I wouldn't recognize, uh, but like that particular iconography of the Astroworld logo is like, that's. Yes, yes. Because I think that's what so, I think that's really important for band merch is you having that one logo that everyone recognizes. Like mm-hmm. so, you know, all of the, the greats usually have it. Uh, I think the best one of all time is the Nine Inch Nails NIN. Right. Like the other most popular Smashing Pumpkins one is the one that's kind of like the SP Heart, and that's their version of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's really crucial, and when people when artists don't come up with that. They're leaving money on the table. The earlier you get in on that, the better. Because you Agreed. always have a thing that people want to get. Um, like, I remember talking to uh, Rob Sheridan, who's actually going to be on this show soon. But Rob Sheridan worked for Nine Inch Nails for a long time. He was the, the, mm-hmm. the visual director of Nine Inch Nails from, for about maybe 15 plus years. And he was saying that his frustration, like they would have this constant frustration. Like they would make these really cool shirts. They would make all this really cool merch, but no matter what, no matter what, the thing that sold the best was just a basic black shirt that had the NIN on it. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, damn perfect. it. You guys didn't like my like cool, weird thing. They're like, no, we like block letters, man. Yeah. Well, I think if, if if it's your first Nine Inch Nails show, you, you get that. If, if it's like yeah. you've been, if you're a hardcore person, then you start getting the more advanced merch. Yeah. But you know, I, I think having that, I think having that one piece of basic merch is key. Yeah, that's where you know, like a Phoebe Bridgers would do well to to get that branding 
to to get the branding going because i will say you know who what as a genre are great at figuring out the sort of word mark or the logo is edm mm-hmm. and i think it's because they have these insane festivals where the festival like posters are often it's not just like the the festival uh font itself but they've got you know the logos representing the individual acts and you gotta have yours and it's gotta be good and look kind of different because otherwise you know people are gonna go see uh elenium instead of uh scream with a k i feel like there's a lot of crossover with metal there like metal and edm have very similar needs as far as the marketing goes um being a solo artist who goes by like your regular name like you're yeah i'm just phoebe bridgers i feel like that is so rough on merch because it always feels a little weird to have someone's name on you as opposed to a band name Yes. Uh, so I think like that's part of the brilliance of Travis Scott doing Astro World. So you have this thing. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have you know it's Travis Scott if you know you know. But yeah. also Travis Scott's such a weird thing because that's not even his real name. He just for some reason I can never understand went from oh, his name is Jacques something um, yes. to Travis Scott, which just sounds like he plays golf. Jacques Webster. The second, right? Webster. Oh God, that look. Shock Webster sounds like a cool rapper. Yeah, it sounds cool as fuck. Travis Scott Uh, sounds like he plays country music. Or Travis Scott sounds like some frat guy who's like trying to bother me while I'm getting a beer. You know? Have you ever seen him explain this? Was he kind of? If I could totally buy this, if he was like, well, you know, I was kind of doing my own kitschy version of a white guy name. Right. Yeah. Right. I could see that. No, I, I actually have never, I've never heard an explanation for why he jettisoned uh, the much more uh, chic jock. <laughs> Although he, Cactus Jack is like his, uh, um, his record label and his, his whole like holding company yeah. or something. Tell him Cactus Jack sent you. Oh God. I, oh, okay. What, that's one of my favorite pop culture things to happen this year is the McDonald's meals like attached to pop artists. Yes. I guess, there's, so I guess there's only been two so far, but I'm sure the floodgates are open, but is bad bunny. The other one. Oh, it was a uh, J Balvin. J Balvin. The J Balvin McDonald's meal is so incredibly funny to me, especially in the context of the Travis Scott one. Because the Travis Scott one was like, you know, I think the most basic reason these things are funny is because they're not really like adding things to the menu. It's just like, you know, but Travis Scott was like, okay, it's a quarter pound of cheese, but we put lettuce on it. And the French fries, instead of ketchup, they come with barbecue sauce. And Crazy. we recommend Sprite as your as your beverage. <laughs> so so it's like okay, like so you're really getting something where it's like okay, you know, we're not putting things on the menu, but I get a sense of like Travis Scottness, right? Well, then there's also bacon on the burger. So, but okay. it's, but it's basically already served a quarter pounder with cheese with bacon. It's it's just like adding lettuce to it, um, right? Adding lettuce to something adds nothing usually. No, um, I, w- I wouldn't. I would not add lettuce to like that's not something I'm ever screaming out for. In I'm more likely to ask that. for them to hold it. Yes. <laughs> but, okay, but the 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 Jay Balvin meal is just a Big Mac with your choice of soda. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm, I got that wrong. I, I got it like, totally wrong. With with French fries with, served with ketchup, 
Mm-hmm. Like that's a point. Like, yeah, we were going to have ketchup with it anyway. And instead yeah. of the soda, it's a McFlurry. Uh-huh. That's the difference. Okay. And it's also weird because if you know anything about Jay Balvin, like he's clearly like a major health nut and does not eat this food. <laughs> Travis Scott plausibly eats McDonald's, but Jay Balvin yes. 100% does not. There was like a, a really good video of him just like a guiding through his family, I'm sorry, through his house and you know his day to day. And it's like, this guy does not eat McDonald's ever. What what was his vibe? Was he is he like a big uh, like powders guy, like protein and supplements and stuff? I can't remember that, but he he just clearly was a healthy guy, like a real like uh like that was kind of like his whole thing. Was I'm a healthy mm-hmm. guy, so mm-hmm. but he's also a guy who clearly likes to get a lot of money. So this guy, the, the <laughs> amount of money you must get for having an endorsement deal for McDonald's for like a month must be crazy. Oh my god, it must be insane. I mean, he, even he if they're lowballing you, <laughs> do they still have? No, they still have salads at at McDonald's. But you're not going to want to throw your weight behind a McDonald's salad. Like even he knows that. I think he I, would know that instinctively. I just want to see someone come in and just go for like absolute absurdity with their special meal. A, a Dada, uh, right? Or, or like <laughs> a, a extreme minimalism. Like I'm just gonna give you uh, the the baby sized hamburger with like the only topping is ketchup, no other, nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, you get uh, apple slices, and you get a black coffee. And it's like, why <laughs> would you want that? Like, no, it's. Uh, <laughs> This is, it's that a, sounds like a women's like <laughs> magazine, you know, when uh, when magazines are like, here's what you can eat that's going to be way too many calories, but here's a here's the smart choice, and it's like hamburger <laughs> with nothing, tiny hamburger, nothing on it, apple slices, black coffee, yeah. three hundred calories. Wait, so who who would who would be the ideal artist for that to be attached to? Um, oh man, like Marin Morris meal. I, 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 like no shade <laughs> of Marin Morris, right? but like yeah, this kind of popped in my head. It's like that feels right. Yeah, just like someone a, normal. Like a, a country singer, country pop singer. Yeah, and she would be like, I, yeah, I have this, you know, when I'm on tour and I'm trying to, like, be healthy, but, like, you know, there's nowhere else to stop. Like, that's where I, I don't know how Marin Morris speaks, but yeah. that, that's that's what I go to, and that's what you can Th- This is the future to. of merch, though, isn't it? On, like, the big level of, like, having yeah. artists, like, endorse food items. And I think there's been some fancier versions of that. Like, I know, um, oh, what's the fancy salad place? Uh, Sweet Green. Sweet Green? They, they had a Kendrick Lamar thing. I think they've had a couple others where, like, uh, like they had a the Kendrick Lamar salad. I remember it was called Beats Don't Kill My Vibe. It had beats in it. Oh my god! That was it. Beats Don't Kill My Vibe. Oh, it might have been. I I know it was beats, as in like the 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 purpley uh, yeah. food. But yeah, oh, I, oh, I'm actually man. I'm pretty sure it was kale. Yeah. Yeah, I only say this as a you know recovering um, content creator for a, a wellness media company who ha- had to make kale puns at at certain points. So I'm like, you you don't leave a kale pun un un unturned. <laughs> Got to take every opportunity. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I would love, I mean, I welcome this because I think it's extremely funny. And yes. I mean, even, I don't even, the only Travis Scott song that I'm really into is Sicko Mode. And I guess the, sure. the uh, franchise, which came out recently, those are, those are the only ones I like, I really like. Um, 
Hyacinth uh, Hi- Hi- in the Room is pretty good too. But I think I have a, I have a, a affection for Highest in the Room because there was just a joke on Time Crisis that was just that really got me. Where this the idea of like being the highest in the room is kind of a pleasant thing, or it's like you know, oh, he's, he's pretty high. But being the drunkest yeah. in the room completely changes the vibe of that song. I li- I listened to that bit on YouTube because I think I was listening to a different Time Crisis uh, segment that you recommended me about um, their long bit about Ed Sheeran Shape of You but I, I ended up on um, that one and uh, yes being the drunk you never want to be the drunkest in the room yeah ever absolutely if, I mean the thing is if you are you probably don't know it that is the at least the one blessing or you don't know about it until the next day uh, speaking of merch and time crisis like the the merch that I've bought the most this year uh, I've really gone in on the uh, bootleg vampire weekend time crisis merchandise scene, which is like something they've really cultivated and it's kind of beautiful. It's uh, have, you, have you seen any of this? You may have seen stuff no. I've actually worn. Like I have that one hat that has the, the green snake on it. That's, that's the uh, bootleg vampire weekend merchandise. Okay. Uh, the, I, I remember it. Was there something else that like, it's like a song title that they have like appropriated for their purposes or like maybe I'm misremembering. I have another t-shirt that says uh, eight minute Cape Cod, which okay. is uh, <laughs> a time crisis vampire weekend in joke about the idea of having uh, an eight minute long version of Cape Cod Quasa Quasa, which they, Great. which they have done a few times. Just, oh my God. Cause yeah. Cause the, the, the time it's kind of like the, the, the obsession with the grateful dead has really carried over to a grateful dead attitude towards merchandise where we will make cool merchandise, but we also encourage the audience to do so themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, That's nice. I, I appreciate that they they are not trying to snuff out um, unauthorized renditions of their stuff. I mean, frankly, it's brilliant because it really does encourage this audience engagement. Like Vampire Weekend really has like an extremely devoted cult beyond anything that anyone would have expected it to be early on. And the their fan base skews fairly young. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, I think like the if you're just kind of thinking about it in terms of both like the most cool and creative thing to do and also like something that might give you like a real longevity, like I think it's a really good idea. Yeah. The the bootleg merch that Chris and I have wanted to make like literally forever is a riff on um uh something I'm not sure how often he did it on the tour, but when LC Sound System came back in 2016 and we saw uh them at Coachella and they were playing. Yeah. And, uh, I think it was, yeah, or no, 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 it was, um, losing my edge. And at a certain point he kind of, uh, James Murphy sort of digressed from the usual script. And he was talking about like, how do how do you make a song? And he says, well, you got to get verse chorus, verse chorus, maybe a solo chorus, 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 maybe an outro. And then he repeated it to the beat a couple times. And I want a shirt that says that on it <laughs> so bad, but I do, do you know my inertia? Maybe it's my natural millennialness of just being like, Oh, to make a thing. It's one thing to buy a thing, but to make a thing. That, that's oh, like your God. own internal vaporware where you have the idea. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. That's what it is. I'm like, it's existed in my mind for now four years. Like dear God, how hard is it to screen print? a shirt but we're we're really dragging our feet i feel like the problem of that i think 
really successful bootleg merch really involves fan in-jokes and shibboleths. And Mm. like that, I don't know if even people who went to that show would remember that. I think the only people who would kind of recognize that are people who are maybe listening to to this right now. And I know you've mentioned this on your own show. So that's kind of where that whole spiel would be remembered right right <laughs> whereas like the vampire weekend like what they, they have well there's all these in jokes there's all these lyric references but there's also uh when they put out the most recent record father of the bride they included like this whole like collection of symbols and those symbols okay. can be made into anything i mean that's like the that that one's like uh snake thing the circular snake like that is uh, a harmony hall thing so when you say include do you mean like they made available like high res they did they did what? okay that's that is genius yeah so but but yeah but it's all in the album art but yeah like they they kind of went into it like oh let's have a whole set of things and they mean different things they're connected to different songs like every song on that record has a symbol attached to it you know They've made their own rebus. Right, exactly. And, <laughs> you know, they already had, like, the the, the, the Vampire Weekend logo is uh, kind of a bold Futura. And uh-huh. anyone can have access to a bold Futura. Of course. So, that is, uh, that's available on, on pretty much all, all machines. Right. So, so you can easily boot, like, Vampire Weekend stuff simply by having access to the logo that everyone associates with them. You you don't have to uh, trawl what dafont dot com to yeah. to oh. find the right font. And the the other font is like they had uh, the in joke of the uh, the Joker Man font is another thing that's a, a big part. Oh, of the, incredible! Yeah, it's like a, it's 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 kind of fascinating the way they've built up this whole universe of Vampire Weekend and then also Time Crisis stuff. And yeah, like. I was already a fan of Vampire Weekend and I think like just the, I would have been attracted to Time Crisis one way or another. It's definitely like my vibe, but this like really makes you, it sucks you in. Yeah. And I think like it it creates that kind of fan experience that I think that's kind of what you want from merch. You want people to be like, when new merch comes, oh, I got to buy that one too. (laughs) I, I see. I respect Ezra Koenig so much on that sense because I mean we did a, an introducing episode about his senior year of Columbia blog that he had called Internet Vibes uh, about uh, just broadly, you know, just different vibes on the internet. And it was a very, I think it was two thousand five. It was it was mid aughts when he did it, and I think he is so aware of. To me, like I think one of the most fun music fandoms or just fandoms in general is if if it is multimedia, like if you are creating like a universe that is beyond just like songs, it's often more the 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 scaffolding that you can use to like build fandoms and like talk about it to other people is the stuff that you do like beside the songs, like the imagery or, you know, whatever else that you kind of put with it. Uh, like one of the things that I remember from his blog post that we talked about is that he was on, he he was thinking about how he really liked the song um, uh, for the longest time by Billy Joel. And he was just went on the internet and was like, does anyone else feel this way? Does anyone else like this song? And just Googled and found a forum of people 
who were talking about how much they liked the song. And I feel like he, so he's aware that like, there shouldn't just be a song. There should be kind of like a textual journey that goes along with it. And that can kind of solidify your fandom. So I feel like he's, it seems like he's really good at cultivating that. So I appreciate that. I would say generally artists who really understand being a fan are really good at serving their own audiences. Mm, And mm -hmm. I don't think, I think there's a lot of artists who, even if they are fans of things, they don't, they they don't have that kind of insight. Um, I think a good, I'm thinking of a good example from a while ago that's, you know, persisted as days. I think, Pearl Jam really brought like the fandom they had, especially Eddie Vedder that he had for all these other things. And so poured it into what they were doing. So it was Mm -hmm. like passing something down. I think there's a a lot of examples of this, but I think having that kind of like, I want people to be engaged. I like the way I'm engaged in these other things. And I think, yeah, some people I think shy away from that because they have this like, well, who am I? You know, I'm nobody. I'm not, I'm a loser. Like I'm nothing compared to the things that I like, you know, Uh, which is, you know, that's very self-defeating. But I think when, you know, if you're, I don't think of Eddie Vedder or Ezra Koenig or, you know, uh, a lot of these people as being like arrogant or anything. I think of them people, I think them being generous and having that generosity. I mean, look, look at Radiohead. Radiohead definitely do this. And they have their own like universe of imagery. And uh, mm-hmm. all, they're good with merch. But, you know, they're not like, they're certainly not arrogant. They're extremely self-loathing people. <laughs> right, but, right. Like, but, but, but like but, at the beginning of the quarantine, like they put out, Radiohead did all the, I think maybe every Thursday they were putting a new full-length concert recording from like the last... 25 years of their existence online and I think streamed it. And the whole thing was like, you know, stay at home and watch these Radiohead concerts. Like that is something that they didn't have to do, but I think they knew they're like, this is a, you know, in the absence of communal experiences for fans, this is a communal experience for fans. Like let's, let's do it. And like, let's have it be a thing and not just like dump a bunch of content on the internet. Like let's, let's actually have it be an event of sorts. So yeah, same, I think same deal. And speaking of Radiohead and merchandise, uh, today happened to be, as, as we record this, the day that uh, they annually release a Radiohead calendar to be purchased for the coming year. And oh, every shit. time they, they do that. this, they have like really funny copy in the email that goes out with it. So uh, this is the one for this year or this coming year. So that was the year that wasn't. As we consign the sorry excuse of 365 diurnal rotations that we referred to as 2020 to the memory hole of history, it's time to look forward to another 52 weeks of fun-filled disinformation, another 12 months of scintillating drivel, another 867... Eight thousand six hundred and seventy hours of fascinating trivia, or to put it in a kind of horrifying perspective, yet another five hundred twenty-five thousand six hundred minutes of joy, horror, confusion, elation, puzzlement, and idle speculation. To name just a few of the several possible emotional states you might find yourself in during the year twenty twenty-one. But how best to navigate through the bewilderingly numerous future three million, I'm not even counting do the whole number, seconds. Uh, personally, I would waste no seconds at all before ordering the new Radiohead calendar, just like an app, only much slower and made of paper. 
And if they're all like this, <laughs> they've been Just doing like this for an years. App made of paper. Oh god! I know the the one from the previous year uh, is like a similar joke, but it's like you have to use a pen. You can't just stab at it with your fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, yeah. that's beautiful. Wow, I should, I would say I should get a Radiohead calendar, but unfortunately, it would have to be a, a unilateral sort of um, uh, uh, di- dictatorial decision to put Radiohead merch in our home. Yes, and your husband famously despises husband. Radiohead, despite being like anyone, anyone's idea of what a person who likes Radiohead is like is basically Chris Wade, and yet, <laughs> and yet. No, he he resists. I've I've tried everything and I think I think he was damaged, you know, like sometimes uh you know, you get a dog from the shelter and like they just it's no, no matter how much you're going to train them, like they just don't like loud noises. It reminds them of uh, you know, something bad that happened to them. I think he he had two terrible an experience with like a college associate who just like pushed too hard and uh just kind of broke the the capacity for appreciation so it's unfortunate uh i've tried to back off but it is still a joke that i just think i think it's funny to be the the female chauvinist radiohead fan in the relationship and david foster wallace fan and David Foster Wallace, although he's becoming a fan of that too. It's, I think it's, I think if you give it the chance, <laughs> as, as I step on my pulpit, I think if you give him the chance, it's uh, funny and good and, and worth reading. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think it's Chris's experience with Radiohead, and as you described it just then, that's a very common experience with Radiohead yes. in the aughts. And that's yes. a, l- a lot of people who dislike that band are coming from that, understandably. Is there anything that you find that like people think you are into that you're not? That's a great Like, what are you usually profiled as? Um, I mean, I in some ways, I think I, I am pretty close to what I am profiled as, which is like, you know, I'm a fan of a lot of things, I but I think kind of my bread and butter, or like what I came up on and still enjoy is like indie rock uh, of an emotional tenor. Although, you know, I, I, I dabble in other things as well, but... Uh, there, there's not much that I, I think that people would profile me as, but I'm not into, but there's definitely bands and, and, uh, musicians that I just, I simply don't get and they're not for me. And, um, it would take a name special, names, name names, like pavement, for example, there you go. <laughs> like I should be, there is no reason in same with Chris Radiohead. There is no reason I shouldn't be a pavement fan, but I've just never vibrated on the right frequency. I, and it, for another example of something, I can be turned around. It just takes the right application at the right time. And I truly believe that not being a fan of something at some point doesn't mean that things can't turn around like in the same way that our bodily cells are supposedly yeah. renewing all the time. I think sometimes things can end up hitting different. Like I was never a big guided by voices person. I sampled it when I was sort of giving myself my indie education of like guided by voices, huge, you know, nineties Titans of, of lo-fi indie rock, like you gotta, and I never really got it. But then we did an episode of and introducing, um, with Dan Beckner from Wolf Parade, who Guided by Voices is one of his favorite acts, and we read a biography of Robert Pollard, and and I listened to a bunch of it, and I was like, I get it. I didn't get it before. Now, like, now I don't know what if yeah. I have the patience now, or I, I, I have to pavement, enough stuff. 
I could see yeah. you clicking with pavement, but I think it's just kind of you have to get it at the right moment. And yeah, I think, it, I think, I'm not ruling it out. I think the pavement, you it would, like a big factor would be being charmed by Malcolmus because he's mm. such an immensely charming and distinctive character. I think just kind of like seeing like the right video, you're like, oh, I get it. He's just like the coolest guy in the world in this extremely specific way. Like <laughs> <laughs> the thing that always blows my mind about him, I think it's probably a big part of why I've been completely fascinated with him since I was like 13 or 14 years old is like, he just seems like I've never, I can't think of anyone else who seems more comfortable as themselves than him. Mm, like utterly self-assured, you know, but not in any kind yeah. of like, like has nothing to prove. Just like, I will just do everything with ease. So every, every bit of like genius he ever does seems like it's completely just like off the dome and like, Oh, I accidentally made this brilliant thing again. Huh. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I think, I think in the right, in the right context or kind of presented in the right way. Like I think, I do think that how you, if you want someone to listen to to something that you like or or you want to introduce someone like i do think you have to be it's got to be the right vibe and the right like uh you know mood of it like there's nothing worse than something being forced on you that you're not interested yeah. in or just something you, you know you might be like i oh so and so is really going to like this thing i can just tell but it it's got to be the right moment or the right delivery like for some reason i think it's probably just the way my brain is reading about robert pollard like made me respect his songcraft even more like of just knowing kind of what he was all about it made the the tunes even more impressive yeah that doesn't have you know that's that's one way of of interpreting things i i i do think in general like if i uh, sometimes I like to go narrative first and then go back and listen to the music and be like, Oh yeah, I get it. I get it now. Yeah. Well, we have done a very interesting arc starting from <laughs> sad girls into merch into, uh, this thing of, uh, you really got to soft sell an artist to get people to listen to them. <laughs> it's a bad idea to, to start from, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Right. Right. You want to, you want to, you want to give people a thing like, here, listen to this. This is good. Just, you know, you decide how it's good or, or if you don't think it's good. I I think, I feel like it's extremely late nineties aughts thing to like start from the point of view or start from the selling point of this is the greatest thing in the world. You will now understand my life experience. You know, I mean, famously the shins thing in the, uh, what's that movie? Uh, Garden Garden State, State. which is ironically done with a woman instead. That's kind of against the stereotype, but nevertheless, that's, this is very of its time. This song will change your life. Yeah. I'm like, uh, what do you, what do you know about my life, man? (laughs) You don't know shit. (laughs) I don't feel like it. You know, I can think of lots of songs that have have been pivotal in some way, but only in the terms of like me being interested in something. I don't think any songs changed my life. Yeah. Like Uh, like, in in the way that I would think a thing changed my life. I feel like if I think of things in those terms, like, well, you know, I lost a job and that changed my life because I didn't have that job anymore and had to get a new one. I think of it more in that sense. I don't know. That's not romantic. Right. Right. I've I've never had any kind of song that is like a cause and effect that has, oh, well, if I didn't listen to this song, I would have never met this person who would never have, you know, showed me where that treasure was buried. Or, Or your soul would be fundamentally different. Right, yeah, I'm still I'm still the same person at the end of the day. <laughs> All right, Molly, <laughs> Molly, remind people where they can find you. 
They can find me uh, on Twitter where, where I'm there an increasing amount through the pandemic. My brain slowly rotting day by day. That's at Miss Molly Mary. Um, you can find and introducing at uh, soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod um, where, where lots of delights abound. You can find. I've been on the show twice. Matthew's been on the show twice. Um, two of my favorite episodes. I mean, I liked I liked the uh, Steely Dan one, but uh, Taboo talking about Taboo from Black Eyed Peas' memoir was simply iconic. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I won't forget anything about that man. Yeah, I, I urge you to listen to that one. I think that's probably that that I, I think that one's really funny in a way that I don't necessarily identify as like oh I'm a hilarious guy but I feel like I was in the zone in that one I'm not well, I'm not ashamed also, to say it you I I have to appreciate is that we when we ask guests to come on we kind of let that it's we say what do you, whatever you want to talk about man and 99% of the time it's uh, artists that they are a big fan of if not the biggest fan of uh but you were like I don't know surprise me <laughs> Like, oh, no, I, no, I know I chose Taboo because I remember seeing that book as a promo uh, wherever I was working, either it was Rolling Stone or BuzzFeed. And it's like, oh, wow, he wrote a book. And <laughs> and I think the idea was like, if I want to, there's a lot of, I, I know too much about music. So I feel like right. to do your show appropriately, like was the do something I knew nothing about. I knew nothing about Taboo. Anything would be surprising. And no one did. <laughs> Nobody Anything. did. I, even like the Black Eyed Peas, like I don't really know like a lot of narrative details about them. So that sure. really was like a, a learning experience. Yeah. And he, no, and I, he, I definitely. And there were like lot. real surprises. Like Taboo is yes. interesting. Did you, did, I, did you know that Taboo now writes Marvel comics? I don't think I knew that, but that makes total sense to me. Like not like the big ones, but I know he was doing like a werewolf by night or something. Like they have him, the, the, he does like periodic kind of like low level stuff, but he's kind of pivoted into being a comic book writer. That's he's, he's got the range. He's definitely got, he's got layers. Taboo does. That's for sure. Yeah. And also the, uh, the, uh, the podcast, the, uh, with, uh, David Foster Wallace. Uh, yes, you can find that at uh, soundcloud.com slash infinite dash cast, or you can search infinite cast wherever uh, podcasts are sold. And please don't report us to the Foster Wallace estate. <laughs> I don't want to get sued. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. We, we want to get through the whole thing and then get sued. We don't want to get through as much as possible before we get sued. We All right. Take it down. Thank you so much, Molly. Thank you. Once again, that was Molly Mary O'Brien. Such a good guest. We will have her back. I will have her back. There's no we here. It's just me. Uh, and, you know, it's time to wrap this episode up. We're going to go out on a song by Moody Man. The song is called Do Wrong. Set that purse down, baby. Take off that coat. You've been going out every night. Coming home smelling like somebody else. Please wash up, take a shower, do something. Give me a little respect. Hell, every time I want to spend some time with you, you tired. But when your friends call, you off. Just like them lights and gas used to be when I met your ass. You know you got me back in church, baby, on Sunday. 
brain, I don't smack the devil out of you. We gotta talk. I done paid for your thrill. I even paid your bill. I even wrote you this song. You still wanna do wrong. I just wanted to be the one. End up the foolish one. I guess I'm the stupid one. Why you wanna do wrong? You got me back in church. You got me back in church. I ended up with you. I guess the devil's at work. I got me back in church. You got me back in church. I'm still in love with you. I guess the devil's at work. She prayed. She prayed. She said, Lord. 